Welcome to the Security Matters podcast, where we bring you the latest news, views and opinion from across the UK's dedicated security business sector. My name is Brian Sims and I'm the editor of Security Matters magazine. We're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by the Security Event, which runs at the NEC in Birmingham on the 22nd and 23rd of September 2020. To register for the show, visit www.thesecurityevent.co.uk. So in terms of the news this week, there's one subject that's dominating the agenda. It's not just in our sector, but in every business sector around the world. COVID-19 is having a massive impact on everyday life, as evidenced by the fact that many of us are now having to work from home. The byproduct of this is that companies right across the security world are looking for new ways in which to get the job done, to coin a phrase. What does that look like in real terms, though? Well, for many, it means a serious foray into the world of digital. But what about the security guarding companies, for example? Empty premises still need protection, don't they? But how do we make sure the protectors themselves are kept safe and recognised for their efforts? Well, from my own point of view, it's been fantastic to see the huge efforts made by various key bodies in the sector. I'm thinking here about the BSIA, the NSI and the SSAIB, all of whom have been lobbying government in a bid to see security personnel afforded key worker status. They've been working in tandem with other organisations on this. It's absolutely crucial. It's vital. I think it should be there anyway, regardless of the pandemic. One of the stories we've carried on the Security Matters website in the last few days has been on this very topic, and it centres really on the security industry authority. Now, the SIA is the regulator for the private security industry. It's been issuing regular updates in its own response to COVID-19. We've uh, read all of them. And the latest one has come from uh, SIA CEO uh, Ian Todd. Now, a key area of concern pointing out in this latest update is around training. Um, Under controlled conditions, the SIA has now started to pilot remote training for some license-linked qualifications. And the pilot's going to be reviewed with a view towards rolling this out more widely. This is excellent news for the industry, I think. Now, on a further matter, in response to concerns raised by approved contractors, the SIA has also extended all annual assessments by an initial three months. That extension will be reviewed at the end of this period. And approved contractors due to pay fees in the next few months will be given up to three months now to pay instead of the normal 21 days. I think that's good news for them, I'm sure, and will take some of the pressure off at least. Now, also this month, it's important to note the SIA's individual licence fee reduction for all sectors comes into play. And the fee paid by applicants is now down from £210 to £190. This applies to both new applicants and those renewing existing licences. So some good news there for us from the regulator. Now, we've already mentioned the fact that lots of businesses are now using digital platforms to transact work in the current situation. But could it be the case that this pandemic is merely going to accelerate a trend that has been on an upward curve for some time now in any event? That trend being the move from paper documents to digital. And we've just reported on something on the Security Matters website. It's a white paper that's just been issued by Reconnaissance International. It's entitled Physical to Digital, A Revolution in Document Security. And it considers the implications behind the current digital revolution, and most notably in the areas of financial transactions and ID document security. The publication itself contrasts more than a thousand years worth of experience in printing and examining security documents with the last three decades, which has seen a huge growth in the use of smartphones in what has previously been the domain of secured printed documents. Now, protection and security, of course, are seen as the primary drivers in the physical document world, while digital growth is being propelled by a can we do it and if so, how mentality, rather than security. Examples of breaches, hacks and outages in the digital sphere are included in the white paper. This is all good reading. It's all good grist in the mill. 
The white paper concludes, and this is very important, that the use of digital technologies is some way to go before replacing cash. Now, most people in most countries continue to rely on cash for retail transactions, of course. Similarly, when it comes to ID documents, while digital technologies are undoubtedly attractive, for the time being, they remain some way short of being ubiquitous. Now, what's the conclusion from this? Well, there's no doubt that a digital revolution is taking place. We're moving from a world in which people can examine and inspect a document to check its legitimacy to one in which we require the trust of the device, such as our smartphone, for example, is doing what we think it's doing. Now, is the data it's using accurate and secure, though? And is the decision it leads us to make both correct and appropriate? Throughout all the issues and considerations this raises, we must ask the key question. And what is that question? Well, it's does digital make us and our data safe and secure? It's certainly food for thought, isn't it? The first interviewee on this inaugural Security Matters podcast will be known to many of you. Alex Carmichael joined the Security Systems and Alarms Inspection Board back in 2015, taking over the CEO's role from Jeff Tate. As a leading fire and security certification body, the SSIB now boasts upwards of 1,700 registered companies. For his part, Alex joined the SSIB from the British Security Industry Association, where he served for many distinguished years as the Director of Technical Services. Thanks to his strong technical background, in fact, Alex is a prominent voice on various UK and European committees. Alex, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. So how is COVID-19 impacting the SSIB and what has the organisation been doing in terms of continuously planning in relation to the pandemic so far? Well, when the pandemic hit the UK, we were watching the government advice and keeping an eye on what was happening in the country itself. What we decided to do is implement our business continuity plan and started to move all our staff to home working. The government call for everybody to uh, stay indoors caught us basically by surprise a little bit. We were about a week behind. So we then quickly moved everybody indoors, gave them the relevant IT systems they needed, and now SSIB is fully manned. We are doing remote audits. As you know, the auditors live live and work from home, so they are now stuck at home doing remote audits, and the office staff is fully manned only remotely, and will stay as such until the government restrictions are relaxed and everybody comes out of hibernation. Uh, But what we've been trying to do is make sure that any interruption to our work and to support to the registered firms is as little as possible. This is a major transition for us, but I think we've done it uh, very professionally. We have approached all our major regulators, people like the NPCC, Police Scotland, BAFE, the SAA and UCAS, uh, to inform them of what we're doing. The fact we're going to be offering certification remotely and carry on surveillance audits remotely. Um, And they've all been very supportive, I might add. Uh, We have the IT infrastructures to do this, and it has been going quite well. Uh, We've decided to continue our operations to support the clients out there, as many security firms are still working, and that's from the man services to the fire firms to the security firms. Some of them have still asked us if we can do certification remotely, and we've informed them we can. Surveillance audits are carrying on, uh, but of course, like most things, we're watching the circumstances and developments may change in the future. That's excellent. Thank you. What do you feel the, the security landscape might look like when the pandemic's eventually passed? Obviously, it's a, it's, a, it's a broad question there, Alex. So in short, really, what do you think is likely to change and what might be the new normal, as they call it these days, for the industry going forward in its supply chain? 
That's a very difficult question to answer. I, I haven't got my crystal ball on me at this point in time, <laughs> I'm afraid. It really depends on how long the lockdown lasts for, um, because firms out there are looking to come out of the compression and get back on the work. Security is something all clients and um, firms want. And in this time, it's very difficult to turn around and say, well, what will change? Uh, most firms now are looking at some sort of remote working, as are we. So maybe there will be remote working in a greater extent in the future. The country may just go back to the way it was working before if we're in short compression. In long compression, then it depends because some of the companies, unfortunately, may go under at the time. And that may be a consequence of this pandemic. So how it will change, I don't know. Technology, I think, will definitely play a greater part. As you've seen outside at the moment, there is uh, the big rush to get more technology in. Ventilators are being produced. And also the technology which are on the streets now is being looked at. I mean, um, if you think about shops, making sure that uh, there is social distancing between people, is there technology which can help them to ensure that if anybody comes in the shops or the hospitals or the trains or transport links, then if anybody in there is showing any signs of illness, then they can detect them and um, either remove them or get the medical services to support them. So when people say what will happen after the pandemic, I'm sorry, I can't really answer that. What's been the feedback, Alex? You mentioned, obviously, SSIB uh, registered companies. What's been the feedback from them on the ground in, in terms of what you're hearing? I think in the beginning, it was very strange because when everybody was told to go home, everybody thought, well, that's what they had to do. And of course, what the government said is go home if you can't, you go and work from home if that's if you can't work, i.e. you have to go home to work unless you had to work anywhere else. And I think there was a, a bit of confusion to start with. Uh, we've had some really good uh, feedback from firms which are still working at the moment because security systems need repaired, fire systems need repaired, security officers are out on the ground supporting the NHS, the transport links and the other key workers out there. And the front line is still going. The firms are still supporting. They're still going out. There's a lot of empty premises at the moment. Security systems are still being required. So it's it's an interesting and difficult time, I think, for many companies. Some of the firms, of course, uh, mainly on the domestic side, unfortunately, have had to shut down completely and follow the staff. But many others are still out there and providing the service to the customers. Um, our feedback we've had has been very good, I must admit. They're very supportive that we're still here supporting them. And the frontline workers, of course, you mentioned, they're, they're doing a tremendous job and are critically important at all times, not just in an issue like this, I think. Correct. Um, do you think, um, particularly, you've been involved, I think, in one of the initiatives to, I've, I've seen, the critical worker status, the move for critical worker status, uh, and primarily key worker status for uh, security and uh, fire safety personnel. Uh, it's a great initiative, I think, first of all. Why have you pushed for that, and why do you think it's so important? Well, security, I, I think critical workers are very, very important. It is a challenging time. And security and the private security do carry out vital national work at this time, both for supporting those 
critical industries which are working at the moment, i.e. The, um, the retail side supplying the food, the transport side making sure the food gets to the shops on time, the NHS, of course, the police and the fire brigade, and taking the weight off their shoulders. So making sure security systems, fire systems, and security officers are doing their job. Now, being a critical worker status is vital for the security industry because they look at it from the point of view of the shops, the hospitals, the transport links, etc. But don't forget the nurse goes home, home at night. The, um, the supermarket worker goes home at night and is protecting them both in their uh, home and in the work. Of course, many businesses have closed down, so you have empty offices. They need protection, so you need the security in those places. You need the security officers also helping out and supporting. So what you're doing by doing that is taking the pressure off the police and the fire brigades at this time. And that's why the security industry, it should be a critical worker. Now, we know that it, we have been told that you, if you work in the critical industries, i.e. the NHS and the supermarkets, and you're supplying goods to them, you can be a critical worker. But I believe the critical worker for the security industry is still in the protection of the whole country. And that's why they should be critical workers. We, well, I supported the work by the trade associations. I, I myself, uh, through SSSAOB, sent a letter to James Brokenshire, the Ministry of State for Security, asking as well. And I think all security industry organisations did a brilliant job in pushing to get the security industry recognised as critical workers, especially in these difficult times. No, indeed you did. Uh, great credit to all of you, I think, all the organisations involved. We reported on that, in fact, in Security Matters. Um, I think longer term on this one, what would you like to see as, as the long term, uh, long term end goal of that campaign, as it were, Alex? Well, I think at any time of crisis, the security industry has a major job to play in the in the protection of the the country. To be honest, allowing and making sure that engineers and security officers can carry out their job and are seen as the fifth or sixth um, emergency service because that is what they do. And, you know, deploying out at two in the morning to fix a fire alarm to make sure that the fire brigade is not uh, bothered with a false alarm, I think is important. I think you make sure that the emergency services, the fire and the police and the ambulance, can continue doing their job for the protection of the citizens. And the security industry is part of that because they make sure to the best of their ability that the systems and people they protect are given the best security service they can to allow the police and fire brigade to attend real emergencies. And I think that's the important thing. Absolutely. So moving now from the macro to the micro, as it were, Alex, uh, this, uh, we're briefly talking about the 25th anniversary of the SSIB, of course. Yay! Momentous, momentous occasion for the organisation, obviously. Um, looking back, um, obviously, certainly since your time at the helm and, and before that, what do you feel have been the main sort of achievements of the organisation to date and what uh, key goals are you striving for going forwards? Well, I think one of the main goals which was done uh, mainly by the, led by the current SSIB chairman, Jeff Tate, who was ably, um, ably assisted by the operations manager, Dave 
profit was making sure of all their hard work over 25 years that it established SSIB as a mark of excellence for the security industry and for any security organization that wished to be certificated by SSIB. And I think that is the important thing and that's what they achieved. And you can see that uh, because SSIB is recognized by insurers, it's recognized by the NPC, Police Scotland, it's recognized by the uh, National Fire Chief Councils, by the SIA, by BAFE, by UCAS. So they did a brilliant job and, you know, Hats off to those two guys for bringing the SSAB up to that place. Um, my job, I think, is to strive for the f forward. I can, and my aim is to make sure we continue to provide a first-class certification service. My aim is also to try and push it to be the best in the security industry. But mainly, what we're trying to do as well is to give added value to our registered firms both in the scope and the volume of their activities. Because we know SSIB makes a positive contribution to their business. We promote high standards and service to their customers and the specifiers of security. And that's got to be our goal for the next 25 years, to push on, to push on, to push on, and to show customers that if they want quality, they come to SSIB. Now, recently, of course, we've uh, produced on your behalf the latest edition of The Standard, which is your popular uh, publication, uh, as well as being sent out with Security Matters and Finance Safety Matters, our two journals. Um, you've also taken the decision to disseminate the publication digitally and free of charge to member businesses in the industry uh, and the industry at large. What are the key takeaways, do you feel, in terms of the contents of this current edition, Alex? Well, I think not only this edition, but any edition, the reason why we called it the standard is that that's what the document is about. That's what the magazine is about. It's about standards. It's about raising standards in the industry. It's about showing customers. It's just about showing specifiers, insurers, and our regulators that the SSIB is about raising standards. And that's what the magazine shows, because in there we have articles by relevant people within the SSIB, whether they be scheme manager, whether it be the training manager, whether they be the operations manager, showing the world what the SSIB is doing. But also it's important in the magazine to promote our registered firms. And we've been doing that. We have articles from our registered firms showing what they get up to. We've also shown that there's a couple of excellent MDs in there, uh, Sarah and Samantha, who attended the Women in Security Awards this year, uh, about how they took over the company from their father and have grown it to be bigger and better uh, than what it was before, because they've taken it into the next dimension. The father grew it to a great company. The two girls are coming and they've now taken it to the next dimension. And that's quite important because it shows that the industry is vibrant. It's proactive. It's growing. And it's an industry any young person should get involved in. Absolutely right. And I think uh, one of the things we've obviously had a problem with over the years, Alex, is the, the image of the industry, I guess. Um, other industries like cyber, for example, or, or business in general, have perhaps been seen as um, uh, more more sexy ones, with a better phrase, and perhaps with better pay, et cetera, et cetera. There's still an image, obviously, problem in the industry, I think, that we've got with the wider world. I mean, one of the all sort of things on how you think we can sort of get around that, I guess, going forward. Well, I think part of that is going, is what's happening now. It's called the apprenticeship, you know, the trailblazer, the work being done on the trailblazer and the training, because having a trained 
and qualified industry is what everybody in the security industry should be striving for. And what I mean by trained is right from, you know, level one, level two, all the way up to degree. And that's what we've got to look for. So the trailblazer is a great start to this and a great thing to put forward. Um, as you know, you have organizations like TAVCOM and they have the CTSP and anything like that, which promotes the professionalism of the uh, people in the industry, the people on the front line, your um, installers, your security officers, but give them the qualifications. Once you get the qualifications in the place, then you can promote that to the young people in colleges and in schools and then enthuse them that the industry is a vibrant and a great career for them. So when they come out, they can see that they can go through, get qualifications, but more than that, there is a career path. They can join a small installing company. They can work their way up from any installer to a supervisor, to the technical manager, to the operations manager, and even run their own company in one day. Or they can become a, a, um, a security guard and work their way up from security guard again to team leader, to supervisor, to manager, and work their way all the way up to MD. And that's what we need to do. It's about enthusiasm in the industry and pushing the industry forward but making sure the youngsters in the schools and the colleges realize the security industry is the place you really want to get a career in. Because once you're in it, you're there. You can have a career right the way through till you retire. And that's what we should be pushing. Quality, qualifications, career. Entirely agree with all of that, Alex. I've been talking about that myself for at least 10, 20 years now. And I think that what you're saying is absolutely right. I think in terms of training, for example, um, I've been talking about CPD for many years, and I think it's, it's voluntary in, in many cases at the moment. I think it should be mandatory going forward, but that's perhaps a conversation for another day. But you mentioned their TAVCOM training, and of course you've recently signed a partnership agreement with them. Can you elaborate on that a little bit for us? Well, TAVCOM is one of the training partners we have. We, we, we are open to any training organization who wants to come and talk to us and if they want to go into partnership they offer our registered firms a discount but really it's we don't train i have a training manager and his job is to try and get training out into the industry to discuss with colleges with government or the governments the four kingdoms the four four governments um or sorry two governments and two assemblies to get the information out to them. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do. And TAVCOM came along and said, could they work with us? And we said, yes, we've already jumped on board and all my auditors are CTSP registered. Uh, the ones who qualify, of course, are. There are some who haven't quite hit the qualifications yet. Um, and we're working with them on that. Service delivery, we've had them up. They've run a couple of courses from our offices um to uh, many companies around our area um but like all this we're open to anything with tr tr uh, training and tavcom is one of the partners we see are being very proactive in this very important area um and that's why we've uh, gone in partnership with them great and i think to sort of sign off on this particular interview alex um can you outline why you believe the ssib certification remains so important for today's security and fire safety businesses customers the answer is customers, customers, specifiers, and customers. And especially with this, uh, where we are now, we are now in the middle of a pandemic. And when we come out of this compression of being in the pandemic, 
then the customers will go back to their offices and they may they will probably want more security. So who do they go to to get security from in the pandemic where we are? Where do you get quality security? And the answer is come to the inspectorates. So in the in this constantly evolving competitive market we're in, the um, customers need to know who they can come to. And also our installers and our security officers can show they demonstrate their expertise, the best practice, and they can show that by being part of a third-party certification body. And that's why third-party certification plays such an important role in establishing the firm's competence, quality, and professionalism in the marketplace. And it shows the customer that the firm they're choosing has the highest performance and quality of service for them. And therefore, in a commercial sense, it shows the uh, firm that it gives the highest level of protection it can give to the um, customers and specifiers out there. And I think SSIB certification demonstrates the firm's expertise, professionalism, and it also gives the customer peace of mind that they've chosen the right, the right company to do the right job. And I think that's why it's so important. Third-party certification is a mark of excellence, and any firm should strive for that. Another major piece of news in the last few days is also due to COVID-19 and centres squarely on something called ECHO. I'm sure many of you have heard of this. ECHO is the Electronic Core Handling Operations Project. And it was launched last November at the CSL Industry Forum in Central London, and it's all about delivering a centralised and fully automated electronic core handling service. This is really predicated on lessening the pressures placed in the emergency services and indeed the alarm receiving centres, the ARCs, by dint of reducing their call handling times. And also, and quite crucially, it's about cutting back on the errors that can occur from a manual response handling process being in place. Now, the big news here, in light of COVID-19 and following full and thorough consultation with the National Police Chiefs Council, we're told, the decision has now been taken to put back the launch of the automated alarm signalling service until July this year. A statement's been released to that effect on behalf of the ECHO Project's directors, and we received that statement of security matters direct from the BSIA, and it points out, and I quote, this is a regrettable but wholly appropriate step that accommodates the needs of all interested parties at the present time. Now, to set this in context, go back to the November launch event with David Wilkinson, the technical director of the BSIA. He spoke at the event and he had this to say, ECHO is a modern, proven and highly effective technology backed by leading industry bodies. Currently, the speed, quality and volume of alarm calls vary significantly, while delays to such calls being answered can have serious consequences. History tells us that mistakes can be made by both parties, with telephone alarm messages sometimes being misheard or otherwise misunderstood. That being the case, adopting ECHO will go a long way towards streamlining and evolving the whole process. Now, there's certainly been a great deal of interest in the benefits ECHO will bring to the partnership between the police service and the alarms industry, and delaying the go-live date until COVID-19 is at least stabilised is definitely in the best interest of all parties. It gives clarity to the market, is a correct decision on behalf of the ECHO project's directors. They should be commended for this. Finishing on some very good news this week, the uh, latest set of financials issued by the BSI makes a very positive reading indeed. Now, as many of you will know, the BSI is responsible for key standards used within the security business sector. So its economic health is uh, pretty important in the grand scheme of things as far as our sector is concerned. Now, for the year ended 31st of December 2019, revenues, it's reported, 
have climbed by 7% to £548.1 million. Now that's in a year which has seen a substantial investment programme into the people and infrastructure of the organisation. The underlying point to note here, I think, is that the performance of the organisation in 2019 maintains 20 years of unbroken revenue growth. That's pretty impressive, to say the least. And average revenues last year, per account, uh, climbed by 3.5%. Of course, ahead of Britain's exit from the EU, the BSI uh, has increased its engagement with the UK government to reach a common understanding of the value of international standards. Two SEN and SENELEC pilots, in partnership with ISO, have helped to define a new model to launch a more agile standards development process. This is of major interest, of course and one that produces deliverables within weeks rather than months, it's being quoted. So what's the defining takeaway of this? Well, the organisation's rejuvenated strategy and business provides a strong natural hedge against economic, political and social issues. Now, on top of that, the organisation's in no doubt that COVID-19 will adversely impact 2020 results. That's the same for most businesses, I would suggest. But forecasts have been reviewed for the year, and the good news here is that BSI believes it has the resources and resilience to withstand this crisis and that's really good to hear. So that's the news roundup for this week. Our final interview this time around is with Nick Whitehouse. Nick is commercial manager at ABL Components who are now responsible for the TrueGuard system. We caught up with Nick earlier this week to examine the current state of play on perimeter protection. Nick, thanks very much for joining us today. Hi Brian, yes, no problem at all. How is the business adapting to suit the confines introduced by the current government lockdown, Nick? What's happening at the moment? Well, we are in uh, lockdown at the moment, uh, Brian, uh, really for the safeguarding of our colleagues and their families, uh, customers and suppliers. Um, I think in, in a way that quite a lot of responsible manufacturing organisations have done, uh, except those, of course, who are directly linked with essential services. Um, we're using it quite well, though. We, uh, as a senior management team, we're utilising the opportunity that's been created. Um, to look at fast-tracking some of the product development. Um, this will include enhancement of the TrueGuard product, which uh, is a relatively new product to us, but uh, we're very excited about, uh, and bring forward products to complement it so that we'll be in a position to hit the ground running uh, when, as and when the government says it's safe to return. That's great. How has that impact on the sort of day-to-day -day running of the business, Nick? Is that, is that impacted sort of quite heavily, or is it, you know... Oh yeah, very much so. Uh, uh, um, we are, of course, in a, in a zero revenue situation because the business is closed. So uh, that does impact quite heavily on on the business as such. You know, we we we're sure that many businesses, particularly manufacturing distributors, uh, distributors, um, uh, are they're in a similar position. Now, of course, one of the things that leads on from this, Nick, not just for your business, but others in the sector and others in other sectors, in fact. Um, a lot of premises are not obviously you know, empty at this present time due to the situation. Do you think that's, or if you had feedback from the industry, for example, is this bringing perimeter security as a, as a discipline into sharper focus, do you think, at the moment? Um, I think it probably will do. Um, when you look at the uh, businesses that are using um, warehouses and their yards to store their inventory, um, it's very conscious, or they would be very conscious, of being very vulnerable in these times. Um, given that many industrial states are so deserted currently, um, and in certain sectors, foodstuffs, pharmaceuticals are two that come to mind, stock levels are, are really at an artificial high as products try to meet the extra demands being placed uh, on the supply chain. Mm. 
This, of course, highlights the risk profile uh, and heightens the importance of effective security. Whilst there's been many developments in the electronic perimeter security, a lot of them are based around the the Internet of Things, the IoT, as we hear uh, quite often these days. As such, uh, that can represent a potential vulnerability in itself. They can be opened up to possibility of cyber attack, for instance. It's really about analysing the risk uh, of a given um, application and applying a security solution that matches that risk. A relatively simple mechanical deterrent such as TrueGuard can sometimes be a suitable solution or in higher risk areas, uh, it can be installed as part of a more comprehensive range of measures. Uh, We think that security, it's important to recognise that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Absolutely right. I, I totally agree with that. And leading on from that, there, because a nice segue into the next question I had for you, actually. What, what do you think current thinking in perimeter protection looks like at the present time? Well, probably uh, avoiding talking about specific product on that one, uh, Brian. The way that we, we look at uh, what the current thinking is would be more about uh, what is the current thinking globally at the moment. And that looks like sustainability, recycling, um, and being socially responsible. One of the great things about TrueGuard is it's a, a 100% aluminium product. Um, and a statistic that is quite widely published is that nearly 75% of all aluminium that's ever been produced is still in use today. And aluminium is 100% recyclable and retains its properties and uh, indefinitely through that period. And when you're recycling aluminium, it actually takes 95% less energy than producing new aluminium. So making this product out of aluminium and getting more aluminium into the system, as far as we're concerned, is a key aspect. Leading on from that as well, Nick, one of the things that uh, we talked about for many years in the sector in general in security is the onion principle. It's a, it's a principle that's been put forward by consultants, as I say, for many years now. And it's basically premised around the idea of designing security from the outside in, so the perimeter to the middle of the building, if you like. Um, are you finding you're, you're coming across this in discussions with, with, with companies you're working with? Uh, yeah, most certainly. Um, there's still some work to be done in convincing businesses of the value of the, the layered approach to security, uh, as you quite rightly say, uh, uh, an outside-in approach. Um, uh, ultimately, um, as I think you probably agree, security is about making it difficult for unauthorised people to gain access to a premises. And if they do, they make it difficult for them to move around or or even get out of the premises. There's still a lot to be said for preventing entry in the first instance. uh, And that's where TrueGuard really comes into its own. It's a visual deterrent uh, as well as a physical one. However, and very importantly, it's also a safe product. There's many applications in in which barbed wire or razor wire or even um, other spiked rotating systems could be illegal. Uh, yes. TrueGuard offers an effective alternative uh, with really a non-aggressive anti-climb system. I think the whole point of TrueGuard is that uh, other products similar to it, uh, it's established it's a first line of, of defence um, at your perimeter. I think if the crooks or the opportunists are deterred at the first hurdle, uh, then they may move on. Uh, unfortunately, perimeter protect and protection is uh, 
all too often uh, regarded as a Cinderella product. And as we all know, once the perimeter is breached, there's often too much time uh, for the perpetrators to carry out theft or vandalism, um, quite often out of sight and behind the, the very walls built to hinder their, uh, their entry. Yes, I've spoken for many years, Nick. I think uh, perimeter protection is every bit as important as the cameras, the access control, the IT security, everything like that. Every bit is important. It's all part of the same mix and all part of doing the same job, I think, at the end of the day. Um, and you mentioned to me uh, when we had a chat uh, earlier in the week, you mentioned that you're actually going to install your own products around the side, the side of your own building. So there's no greater endorsement than that, I think, is there? Well, no, we don't think so. We truly believe in the product um, and it will be, uh, we will be making it a feature of our own perimeter security because it's so good. Um, but we can also turn that into a working showroom and um, anybody you'd like to see it in situ can see it in situ because it will be all around of our premises. Um, obviously, there's, there's quite a few premises that are, are out there as well. Uh, They've already got TrueGuard product around them, but um, we're going to uh, we're going to do uh, a, a real good job on our own business, and I think that that is something that other people need to consider as well. And going forward, Nick, obviously, the, what the future looks like, none of us, I, I guess, know that beyond the, the COVID pandemic. And um, what are your hopes, I guess, for the next six to twelve months once we're out of the lockdown situation? We've got quite a few interesting ideas coming through at the moment. Um, some will be complementary to the True Regard product range. Um, and as a taster, ABL have the in-house ability to powder coat. That will give us a, a great advantage in this marketplace because we feel it'll draw. It'll be a draw for uh, quite a lot of businesses, especially big corporate business, businesses who have corporate colours and their own corporate identity, which they may wish to add to their perimeter security. There is, as I say, quite a few others as well. Um, however, commercial sensitivity uh, at this time stops me from elaborating too much. Uh, one thing's for sure, though, um, ABL uh, is now in the security market uh, and having recently been acquired by the Amari Metals Group, um, we're in the picture as being a very large player in this with a very powerful backer. brings us to the end of this inaugural Security Matters podcast. Many thanks indeed to Alex Carmichael and Nick Whitehouse for their contributions and also grateful thanks to our sponsors at the security event. The security event runs on the 22nd and 23rd of September at the NEC in Birmingham. To register for the show visit www.thesecurityevent.co.uk. Future editions of this podcast will be live to view every fortnight on Wednesdays. You can listen to our podcast for free on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube and Podbean. To download the podcast on Spotify or iTunes, all you need to do is enter the term Security Matters into the platform search box. Of course, don't forget to visit our website at www.fsmatters.com forward slash security hyphen matters, where you can view our podcasts and also read all of the latest industry news and opinion. If there are particular subjects you would like to see covered on future podcasts, please do contact us. You can do so on Twitter by using the hashtag securitypod. We'll see you next time.